So there they are, two million of them on the verge of claiming what they believe is rightfully theirs. Forty years in the desert, all sorts of runabouts that came out of slavery, all their grandparents have passed on. And it's just them facing the promised land. Are they excited? Absolutely. They've just seen another party. First, their, their parents and their grandparents talked about the parting of the Red Sea. Now they've seen the parting of the Jordan as they cross into the promised land, the land promised to them. But before them is their first major hurdle, a town called Jericho. Now, a few years before that, they sent some spies into the land, and a lot of them came back, except for a couple of them, totally freaked out about this new land that they are going into. Those guys just didn't think this was a place for them. A land full of giants and, and crazy people. Only two of them said, yeah, we can do this. Now, one of those guys, Joshua, is standing there leading the Israelites into the promised land. So he decides to send a couple of spies in just to kind of get the lay of the land. Maybe something's changed. Get a feel for what's going on in Jericho. So these two spies, they head into Jericho. And it's all good and well, but something happens. Now, I don't know what they did. I don't know how they ended up there, but somehow they end up in Jericho and they end up in a brothel. How does that happen? I mean, here is the greatest point in the history of Israel. Two spies are sent in to deal with, hey, get some reconnaissance, get us some info about intel so it's going to a brothel. So they end up in this brothel for some reason. And this woman in here, there is a prostitute, her name's Rahab, and she looks after them. Now, obviously the spies weren't really good at spying because the people of Jericho found out about them, went and told the king, and the king sent out soldiers to find them. And guess where the king's soldiers went? To the brothel. <coughs> Must be a popular place. So Rahab answers the door, the soldiers bang on it, hey, we know you've got them here. No, 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 they're not here anymore. They left. If you hurry, you can go catch them. Prostitute Penelope. She had hidden the guys up in the ceiling. Then she goes to them and says, hey, I know all about you guys. I know about your God. I have spared you. Will you spare me and my family? So they give her a scarlet rope rope that they used to escape with and they tell her hang that out the front of your house and then a few thousand years from now you'll start a trend called the red light district right hang that out the front of your house the scarlet red rope and we won't attack you bring in your family and we will keep them safe so lo and behold they go back and tell Joshua that the land is ready. They're all freaked out about us. They're all freaked out about God. Let's go take it. And Josh sits down to come up with a military plan to take over. And, you know, many in history who have read military strategy will think the plan that he's laying out is absolutely crazy. 
But this is what God wants. March around the city for seven days. Then on the last day, march around it and yell at it. And the walls will fall. Can you imagine being in the city at that time watching this massive army march around your city, not doing anything? And then on the last day, they yell at it and the walls fall. Will that freak you out? Would that freak you out? This rain outburst helps these spies and becomes the central figure to this story. Does anyone here have a nickname that you'd like to share with us this morning? <laughs> she said, Karen, that's awesome. <laughs> We've all got some sort of nicknames. If you don't know what your nickname is, put your partner, they'll tell you. Um, we all have something about us that we don't. I mean, if you think about uh, nicknames, if you think about this guy, Dennis the Menace, why do they call him that? He's a menace. Because he's a real menace, right? Uh, what, about, what about this guy? I mean, his nickname, he's a barbarian, of course, he's a barbarian, right? Uh, and then, of course, uh, Dora likes to explore, so they call her Dora the Explorer. Um, I don't know what his actual name is, but I guess that's his nickname, the Terminator. Um, not too sure. <laughs> I'll be back. Um, what was Rahab's nickname? Prostitute. She had the worst nickname. She's only known as the prostitute. And it's interesting where you get some of these uh, <laughs> Bible interpreters who want to kind of soften the blow of well, she wasn't really a prostitute, she was an empty, but no, no, she was a prostitute. In the New Testament, they don't do it just once, but they do it twice. In Hebrews, Rahab, the prostitute. James does it again, Rahab, the prostitute. Every time you see her name, it's always followed by her nickname. The poor woman gave it up after a while, right? She stopped being that. In fact, she then got married and had kids. But why do we keep referring into that? There's only one person. In the Bible, it stops referring to her as the prostitute. It's a guy named Matthew when he's doing Jesus' genealogy. But Matthew himself had a nickname. Anyone know what his nickname was? The tax collector. Yeah, it wasn't really a cool one. So he understood how one could be devalued by their nickname. Interesting, isn't it? The story goes on in Joshua. It says, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house, he doesn't even name her, and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her, and they brought out their entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. These are the first people kind of like grafted into Israel goes on to say, um, sorry, in verse 25, but Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the man Joshua had sent a spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. What's in a nickname? I'm, I'm starting a new series this week along the lines of what we as a church want to travel down as a vision, as a, 
as, as a way of how do we move forward as a church. And I'm starting this all the story of a prostitute. And yet it is this story where the foundations of faith come out so strongly. You think of her nickname. You think of Matthew's nickname. Think of even Jesus. I imagine, uh, hypothetically, that Jesus would have been made fun of when he was a kid. Hey, Jesus, I know my father. Do you know who your father was? You know, kind of knocking him back because, well, his mother got pregnant. Was it really Joseph? It's a fascinating thing when it comes to faith that Jesus chose to be born that way. Because there's a simple fact. Only broken, sinful people can understand broken, sinful people. If you are perfect, then there's really no use for you. Think about that for a moment. If you are perfect, what's the point? God uses broken, sinful people to change the world. That the least of these are the ones that impact us the most. Rahab, it's a story of faith. And this the good Baptist pastor, I'm going to give you three points to challenge you in your faith journey because as we go forward in defining what are rhythms in your life, how can we help you grow in your faith? Well, first of all, you need to understand what faith is. And we're going to learn that through a Canaanite prostitute. Her name is Rahab. She has a faith that receives. It's fascinating when these spies come to her she acknowledges God, but she doesn't just acknowledge God with God as in, I know God. She actually names God's name. Now, not even the Israelites will say his name. We translate it today as Yahweh. It's known as the Tetragrammaton. It's YHWH. She actually says it. She says his name. How does a Canaanite prostitute know the name of God? She says, I know that the Lord has given you this name. And she goes on further to say this. She says, for the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. Faith must begin with receiving God. Receiving Christ into your heart. It has to begin. That's the first step. You need to acknowledge God is God. That's how faith, all our faith journeys begin. It's understanding that there's really nothing I can do. There's really nothing in my power to save myself. Even Rahab knew that. And rather than sit there and sharpen her sword, prepare the defenses, she puts her hands up and says, He is God. He is God. There is nothing I can do to stand against him. So I will stand with him. Faith that receives. 
she also has a faith going on in John 3.16. We talk about so, so God loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We talk about God today through his son, Jesus Christ. And there's a fascinating loop that I'll share with you later between Rahab and Jesus. We'll see that she has a faith that receives. She also has a faith that risks. Um, in Joshua 1 9, when Joshua's talking to his people, you know, the only, at that point, the only spies that had come back from the land had given them a pretty bad report, saying this is a dangerous place. I don't think we can get into there. But he tells them as they start that journey, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. She risked everything. What if the Israelites didn't win? What if they lost? You know, we can read back in history and, and figure it all out because we know the end story. But imagine living in the midst of that. We don't know today what's going to happen in this world. We don't know what's going on in the Ukraine. 30 years from now when they're writing our history or 50 years from now when they're writing the history, they'll tell us. And they'll say, well, why didn't they do this? Or why didn't they do that? Well, that was obvious. We don't know that yet. And for Rahab in that moment, even though she was absolutely certain that God is God, there's still that, imagine that little bit of doubt. That when the army comes to knock on the door and say, where are these guys? It's actually one of two times in the Old Testament that lying is condoned. And if we talk about history, there were many not too long ago who had soldiers coming knocking on their doors, asking, where are they? And risked their lives to point them in a different direction. She had a faith that risked, and she risked her life. If they'd known that she was hiding these They would have killed her and her family. Faith is risky. We usually use Paul's words, uh, faith, uh, you know, certain of the things that we don't know. And we use that word certain, you know, because we're certain in our faith. But that, that's it's taking it just slightly out of context. Faith is risky. That's why it's called faith. You don't step out into certainty. Step out in faith. Trusting that there'll be something below your feet when you take that step. Not only does she have a faith that receives, faith that risks, but she also has a faith that rests. <laughs> um, quoting from 1 Peter, give all your worries and fears to God, for he cares about you. Now, I don't know how it would have felt for Rahab sitting in the house with all her family around her, her mum and dad, brothers and sisters and their families, nieces and nephews, and there's that little cord, red scarlet cord, hanging out the front. Will they honour their word? And hearing these soldiers circling the city, then that moment where they hear the roar and the walls fall down, can you imagine how she must have felt? Will they honor this? Can I trust them? Or are we dying today? 
sometimes for us as humans, it's easy if we could just get out there and do something about it. Move ourselves to change our environment, change the things around us. But faith, faith rests and allows God to do his work. And honors the promises he's made. Not just to Rahab, not just to me, but to you as well. Where is the challenge for you in this? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord? Maybe at some point in your life you said yes, but are you really choosing to have him live in your heart? Are you willing to risk all for this faith, this belief? And are you resting on the promises of who God is? what Jesus has done for you and what he will do when one day he does return. Fascinating thing about Rahab. Again, I'm stressing this point. She's a Canaanite prostitute. And yet, Israel brings her in. Of course, she stopped being a prostitute. In fact, she marries a guy with an unfortunate name. His name's Salmon. Yeah. Named after, well, either he was named after the official, the official was named after him, I'm not sure. But Salmon is said by, the, uh, by a lot of the uh, uh, Jewish uh, Midrash and, the, and their studies, they, they reckon he was one of the spies, which would be a kind of a neat story if it was true, or if it is true. But she ends up getting, I don't know, asked out for coffee with him. They go out on a date and so on. They get to know each other. And they get married. And they have a kid. So not only is she now accepted into Israel, she's now married to a guy in Israel. And they have a son. And his name is Boaz. Now if that rings a bell, there's another book that seems to talk about this guy, the book of Ruth. Now, Boaz falls in love with this girl, Ruth, who comes from a place called Moab. Anyone know the history of Moab? Today, Moab is what we know as Jordan. But Moab, the guy who the place is named after, you know who his parents were? Who knows? Yes, put nicely. His father was Lot. His mother was Lot's daughter. So here you have the son of a Canaanite prostitute marrying the daughter of an incestuous marriage union. And guess what they become? The great-grandparents of the greatest king that Israel ever had. His name was David. But not only that, they become part of the lineage of the greatest king the world has ever known and will ever know, and that is Jesus. That's what faith does. Faith doesn't look at where you came from, what you did. It looks at who you are today and who you will become. And the challenge you're faced with this morning is this. Who are you? Who are you? 
was reading one of the commentaries and it said that if you are a Canaanite prostitute or the son or daughter of an incestuous marriage and you walk into a church that gives you a hard time about it, turn around and go find another church for that is not a place where grace lives. The Bible is really in your face sometimes, isn't it? And we, we kind of and wrap it up nicely just to make it sound good. But these are real people from real lives. And just because their words on a page doesn't make their life any less. Their lives were changed when they encountered God. And when Jesus was born, he chose a lineage that had a lot of broken, sinful people. But they were people who were and just like you here today, you are part of God's church. You've come here this morning listening to this big, fat, bald guy at the front of a church who's still mourning the loss of Ozzy's last night. No. Oh. No, I, I really don't care. I just like winding people up. But in all our brokenness, in our sin, God calls us to reach out to others, broken and sinful, and to remind us that he doesn't want us living in that broken, sinful world. I want to challenge you this week. Stop. Don't define yourself by who you were. Define yourself by who God sees you. Matthew got it. Rahab's not the prostitute anymore. He got it. And Jesus chose that woman and her life to come into this world to save us all. You need a faith that receives, you need a faith that risks, and you need a faith that rests on the promises of who God is. Even when the world is turning upside down. Amen. If you're in a life group this week, I've got the study questions out for you. I'll send an email out just in case you don't download that app. If you're not in a home group, I'll send within that email also just some questions for you to reflect on. Take some time out this week and reflect on what faith means for you. What does it actually mean for you? Because sometimes we get very, very comfortable in who we are until those walls come tumbling down. And we hope that someone sees that scarlet red rope that you're hanging out. What does faith mean for you? Who is Jesus in your life? Ask the music team to come up. As I sing, um, you know, you can stand if you want, but you can also stay seated. Um, you don't have to sing. Let the words wash over you. Take some time. Just reflect on what faith means for you. What does it mean to believe? What does taking that next step look like for you in your faith journey? Take some moment to ponder that as our team leads us.